to that. Amen. Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Let's start reading in verse number 29. Where the Bible says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Now, in reading those words, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give her light, stars fall from heaven, the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. I, I, I used last week, I believe it was last week, a term, I want to use it again tonight. Instead of talking about the sun, moon, and stars and all of that, uh, we, we call it the cosmic disturbances. That's an old theological term. Someone coined that phrase years ago. I like it. It simplifies things. So if you hear me say cosmic disturbances tonight, I'm talking about when the sun's going to be darkened and the moon will not give her light, the stars going to fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Uh, it's just quicker to say cosmic disturbances than, than repeat all of that. But that is going to take place in this world in the future, and I'm convinced it's at the end of that 70th week of Israel. That seven-year tribulation period. Remember our timeline. This is the seven-year tribulation period. At the end, uh, you will have the, uh, the sun and the moon and the stars uh, darkening, so on and so forth. Verse 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. That's the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and to this earth. In verse 31, on his way back to this earth, the Bible says, And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now what I'm going to be emphasizing tonight is verse number 31. And he shall send his angels with a great, with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now, just a few weeks ago, I touched on that verse just briefly uh, in demonstrating that the nation of Israel will be saved as a nation at the end of that seven-year period of time, Israel's 70th week. However, I, I, though I believe that that's what this verse is speaking of, there have been many Bible believers, men who love the Lord uh, and love God's Word, who have taught and even today believe that verse 31 is not as much dealing with the nation of Israel as it is, they believe, that's, that's teaching that that's when you and I are raptured. They believe that's when you and I are taken out of this world. And the reason why this is such an important issue is, verse 29 says this happens after the tribulation of those days. So if verse 31 is the rapture of the church, that means the post-tribulationists are correct. Because what happens in verse 31, this gathering of the elect, that happens after the tribulation, post-tribulation. Well, I'm convinced that the rapture is pre-trib. And so I want to demonstrate tonight the best I can how verse 31 is not the rapture of the church. It's not going to be the moment in time where you and I go home to be with the Lord. That is the regathering, I'm convinced, of Israel and other tribulation saints. Now, before we jump into that, let me mention a few things I think that, that are very, very important. If you look in the first part of Matthew chapter number 24, I, I want you to see how this chapter is laid out. In verse number 4, you see where Jesus says, Take heed that no man deceive you. Many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. This is verse 5 of Matthew 24. 
saying, I am Christ, shall deceive many. You shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these uh, must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. Last week, when we were looking at the day of the Lord and how it encompasses the entire seven-year tribulation period, and I'm convinced that it does, I pointed out the fact that these uh, few verses right here that we just read parallel uh, Revelation chapter 6 and the first four seals. What Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 24, verses 4, 5, 6, and 7, is the same thing that we see Jesus causing to happen as he opens the seals in Revelation chapter number 6. You, you, you lay Matthew 24 right here, right beside the, the seals of Revelation chapter 6, and you see they match perfectly. So what we're looking at here, beginning in verse number 4, is that seven-year tribulation period. It is that period of time. And Jesus said in verse 8 that verses 4 through 7 are the beginning of sorrows, the, the beginning of those birth pangs of the day of the Lord. Then in verse 9, Jesus speaks of the affliction. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, shall kill you. You shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that endureth unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. So verse 14, we have the end of it. In verse, verses 4 through 7, you have the, the beginning of sorrows, but Jesus says this is not the end. It's not the end. Then in verse number 14, you see we have the end. It's wrapped up. So verse 4 is the beginning of the seven-year tribulation period. That means verse 14 is the end of it. So verse number 4 down through verse 14 is that seven-year period. Of time. What Jesus did gave, gave a very quick, brief, panoramic view of the seven-year tribulation period. Then in verse 15, he says, When ye, and there's that word therefore, when ye therefore shall see. And the fact that he says therefore means he's saying, I'm, I'm about to explain something that I've already mentioned. Now the beginning of sorrows, verse number 8, is that first half of the seven-year tribulation period. Verse 9, he begins to talk about the great persecution, the great affliction that takes place during that time. That's exactly what he begins to expound upon in verse 15. He talks about the abomination of desolation, which takes place in the middle point of the tribulation period. He talks about fleeing to Judea. He says in verse number 21, there's going to be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of this world. That's when the great persecution begins in that seven-year tribulation period. So as you read in Matthew 24, you read verses 4 through 14, that's the entire seven-year tribulation period in a nutshell. Then in verse 15, Jesus reaches back and begins to expound on verses 9 down through 14 and explain that latter half of the tribulation period. Now, I'm saying a lot of things real fast. It's being recorded. So if you need to go back and listen to it, I'm not gonna, we're not going to stop and call time out and spend too, too much time here. But that's, that's essentially what's taking place in Matthew 24. You have the entire seven-year tribulation period being spoken of. And then in verse 15, Jesus just reaches back and begins to explain and expound 
verses 9 through 14, and the horrific events of the great tribulation aspect. That's that last half of the seven-year tribulation period. And what we demonstrated last week was the day of the Lord encompasses all of that. You and I will be taken out prior to the day of the Lord. That's for what 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says. Therefore, we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. However, the pre-Rathians and the post-tribulationists, they'll bring up verse 29 again, those cosmic disturbances. They'll bring those verses up again. And because they'll bring them up and talk about them, we need to talk about them. So I want to say something real quickly about those cosmic disturbances. Take your Bible and go to Joel chapter 2, please. The, the little prophecy of Joel. If you look for Daniel, that's a, that's a larger book of the Bible. You find Daniel, then you'll find Hosea, and then you'll find Joel in the Old Testament. So while you're turning, I'll explain where we're heading with this. I believe that the day of the Lord encompasses the entire seven-year tribulation period. I believe it's the whole thing. From the Antichrist arriving all the way to the end, that is encompassed within the day of the Lord. Which means those cosmic disturbances would happen within that day of the Lord period of time. However, there's this little verse in Joel that the pre-Rathians and the post-tribulationists, they love to run to and say, wait, 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 you pre-tribulationists, wait, 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 what about this verse? So we need to look at this verse, and we're going to talk about this verse real quickly. Look at Joel chapter 2, verse number 30, where Joel says, and I will show, or God is telling Joel, Joel's prophesying by way of the Lord, I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke, the sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood. And that sounds very similar to what Jesus was saying in Matthew 24, verse 29, those cosmic disturbances. But notice what Joel says. Joel says that this happens, these cosmic disturbances happen before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. All righty, Brother Wampler, we got a problem here. You said that those cosmic disturbances take place within the day of the Lord. That verse says that they happened before the great and terrible day of the Lord. So what is the reality? Because last week we demonstrated how, how with Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and Jesus and Paul, they were all talking about the day of the Lord. And Jesus goes so far as to say that first half of the tribulation period is the beginning of those birth pains. And they all talked about the day of the Lord being the whole thing. So what are we going to do with this verse right here? Because the pre-Rathian is going to run to me. Uh, Stephen Anderson and Alan Kirshner, they're going to come to me and say, no, Brother Wampler, this is when the day of the Lord takes place, which, according to Matthew 24, is after the tribulation of those days. They believe it's a post-trib event. Well, I'm convinced by what we studied last week that the day of the Lord does encompass the entire seven-year tribulation period. However, remember last week, the day of the Lord, we compared it to birth pains. We compared it to uh, when a lady goes into labor, the initial contractions are not as intense and they're, they're less frequent, but the longer she's within labor, the worse it gets and the more painful, uh, the, the closer the constri- contractions, the longer they last, the more intense they get. And notice, notice this language here. 
the sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before, and he doesn't say the day of the Lord. He says the great and the terrible day of the Lord. What he's speaking of here is that end time aspect of the seven-year tribulation period when it gets as bad as it could possibly get. It's within that great tribulation part, that last half of the tribulation period. Toward the end, you have your trumpets, you have your vials. The vile judgments are the most intense. And Joel speaking in terms of that great and terrible aspect of the day of the Lord. In fact, he goes even further to add another aspect of this in chapter 3. In chapter 3, look at verse number 9. Of Joel 3, proclaim ye this among the Gentiles, prepare war, wake up the mighty men, let all the men of war draw near, let them come up, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears, let the weak say I am strong, assemble yourselves and come all ye heathen, gather yourselves together round about, thither cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord, let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, that's the valley of Megiddo. For there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full. The fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. There, he's not talking about the day of the Lord as far as the trumpets and the vials. He's talking about the day of the Lord in one moment in time, the battle of Armageddon. So what Joel is explaining here are the moments within the day of the Lord. You have the great and terrible day of the Lord. You have the day of the Lord in the valley of decision. It's one day of the Lord with different aspects within the day of the Lord of intense and horrific wrath of God. And what Joel is explaining here is before the worst aspect of the overall day of the Lord before the worst part comes, the great and terrible day of the Lord, before even Armageddon takes place, the cosmic disturbances will take place. And that will be a sign of this world, you're done. It's over. The trumpets and the vials and the intensity of God's wrath is going to be turned up on high level and the world will not be able to endure it. Right here, in chapter 3, how frightening is that? He says, verse 14, Multitudes, multitudes, in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. He's talking about the battle of Armageddon. And verse 15, he associates Armageddon with this signal of cosmic disturbances again. The sun and the moon shall, not, uh, shall be darkened and the stars will withdraw their shining. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. The emphasis there is Israel. Israel. The day of the Lord, the overall encompassing day of the Lord begins. It comes as sudden destruction. It comes as travail upon a woman with child. But as it progresses through that seven-year period of time, it intensifies. And with those cosmic disturbances, it's more than just now the day of the Lord. We're talking about the great and terrible day of the Lord. And then it intensifies again. We're not just talking about trumpets and vile judgments. Now we're talking about the King of kings and the Lord of lords coming to this earth and destroying the armies of this world along with the Antichrist and the false prophet. And he'll put Satan in the lake of fire. 
for a thousand years in that valley of decision, the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Now, I understand these are complex issues, but they're issues nonetheless that need to be reminded of. To the people of God, we need to be reminded that our God is king. And this world, and I don't say it with a smile on my face, but this world is headed for the wrath of Jesus Christ. The first time he came, he came as a lamb to be slain for the sins of men. But the next time his feet touch this earth, he's come as the lion of the tribe of Judah in wrath. Now, the pre-Rathians, the post-tribulationists, they will argue with me. I say me because they've done it with me and others as well. And they'll say, I don't believe, they'll, th- they'll say, I don't believe the cosmic disturbances are a part of the wrath of God. That's a signal of the wrath of God. See, I believe the whole seven-year tribulation period is the wrath of God. They'll say, no, it's not all the wrath of God. How anybody could believe the fourth seal is not the wrath of God is, is, is beyond my mental capacity to understand. It is absolutely the wrath of God. But they'll say, we don't believe that the cosmic disturbances are a, a signal They teach that they are a signal to the wrath of God. They're not a part of the wrath of God. And I'm convinced that because it happens within that seven-year period of time, it is the wrath of God. But I have verses to prove it. Take your Bible, go to Isaiah. I don't want to just say it, I want to show you. Go to Isaiah chapter 13. Isaiah 13. In Isaiah 13, Isaiah says in chapter 13, verse 6, How ye for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. I believe it begins with the Antichrist and ends at Armageddon. God even alliterated it for us, Antichrist, Armageddon. Some of y'all get that in a minute. How ye for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Therefore shall all hands be faint, every man's heart shall melt. That's what Luke 21 says. Men's hearts shall fail them for fear. And he's talking about the seven-year tribulation period. Verse 8, they shall be afraid. Pain, sorrows, just like Paul said about the day of the Lord, shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travaileth. They shall be amazed at one another. Their faces shall be as flames. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh cruel both with wrath and fierce anger to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. There are those cosmic disturbances related to the day of the Lord. But look at verse number 13. Therefore, I will shake the heavens, and the earth shall remove out of her place. What's that next little tiny word? In, not before. In the wrath of the Lord of hosts, and in the day of his fierce anger. See, a pre-rathian says the cosmic disturbances take place, and then the wrath comes later. The Bible says those cosmic disturbances happen within the wrath of the Lord, within his fear saying. The cosmic disturbances are not a signal that the wrath of God is about to come. It's a signal that the wrath of God is going to be turned up. 
it's going to be experienced more than it had even in the beginning. And think about this, the fourth seal, a fourth of the, the fourth seal in Revelation chapter 6. Jesus opens that fourth seal and one fourth of the world is destroyed. Now I'll give you a, a frightening thought. Where is that fourth of the world that's going to be destroyed? Where do they live right now? What part of this world is going to be destroyed? We know it's not going to be the Middle East because all of God's attention is on the Middle East. We know it's not going to be east of that in Asia because there's a 200 million man army going to come across the Euphrates from the east. More than likely China will be involved in that. Come from the east. So we see Asia still intact. We see the Middle East is still intact. We have a nation from the north coming down. The north is still intact. We have northern African nations are going to be a part of this. So you got at least North Africa. It looks like when a fourth of the world dies, God's not touching the eastern hemisphere. So where's that fourth of the world that's going to be slain at the fourth seal? Where are they coming from? More than likely, North and South America. Might be why you hardly see, you probably don't see hardly anything about America in prophecy. Could be because we've been wiped out in the first half of the tribulation period. The fourth seal is the wrath of God. I'm not trying to scare anybody with that, but if you're not saved, I'd be scared about that. I'd be scared about that. This world's headed for the wrath of God. That whole seven-year period of time is the wrath of God. The cosmic disturbances, they're not initiating the wrath of God. They're not a signal to the wrath of God. That's just a signal it's almost over with. The great and the terrible aspect of the day of the Lord has come. The trumpets and the vials culminating in Armageddon, that day of the Lord, in the valley of decision. Best thing for anybody tonight to do is, if you're not saved, get saved. Because the Bible says when you get saved, you get saved from the wrath to come. The wrath is coming. But if you're saved, you won't experience one moment in time of the wrath of God. Now let's take our Bibles go back to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 31. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to confess something to you. I'm going to confess something. When I hear somebody call Matthew 24, 31, the rapture of the church, uh, I don't get angry at them. I can see what they're saying. I mean, look at the verse. He shall send his angels, the great sound of a trumpet. Okay, when we get raptured, according to 1 Corinthians 15 and First Thessalonians 4, there's going to be a trumpet blast. The Bible says at the last trumpet, we're going up. So here's a trumpet. They shall gather together his elect. Well, you and I are elect. We're saved, and, and we're going to be gathered unto the Lord. And here's an elect being gathered unto the Lord. I can, I can see it. I see what they're saying. 
We'll be gathered from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. I mean, that sounds like from one end of the sky to the other. I, I can see what they're saying. In fact, most of you pre-Rathians and post-tribbers, they'll look at this verse and they'll say, this is the rapture of the church because it looks so similar to 1 Corinthians 15 or 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It looks so similar, so it must be the same thing. Let me remind you, when you're studying your Bible and you're comparing things, you can't just look at the similarities and then stop right there. You have to see if there are any differences. And if there are differences, it's not the same thing. Now, my sister-in-law, Kim, that's my wife's baby sister. She's, she's visited here before. Back in uh, uh, around late December, Kelly's family came up. Uh, for Christmas, came over, spent some time with us, and, and Kim and her family visited. Now, you may not remember her, but I'll say this. You all know Kelly, but if you didn't know Kim, you, you had no idea who she was, never met her, never saw her, but if she walked through that door, you know what you would do immediately? That has to be Kelly's sister. Has to be Kelly's sister. You know why? Because they're so similar. But I ain't going home with Kim. I'm going home with Kim. You know why? Because of the differences. Though they're similar, you can tell they're different because of the differences. And if you just note the differences, you'll see that Matthew 24, 31 is not our rapture. It's not. The first thing he says here is, and he shall send his angels the Bible says he sends his angels to gather his elect. Take your Bible, go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And tell me if this sounds like he's sending his angels in John 14. I'm going to do something that it's, it's preached against, it's taught against. I'm still going to do it anyway. Just deal with it best you can. A lot of people criticize arguments from silence. Have you ever heard of that? Well, well the Bible doesn't say something, and so I'm arguing, I'm arguing from silence. Well, I, I, I'm going to do that just for a second. I'm going to argue from silence because I think, I think this is very interesting. You've got Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those are called the synoptic gospels because they're so similar to each other. John is not a synoptic gospel. It's, it's the fourth one. It's so different. Remember those four beasts in Revelation I talked about Sunday morning? Uh, you had the face of the lion, the face of the calf, the face of the man, and then the eagle. Even in those four, you have differences. Three of those walk on the ground, and one of those fly in the sky. And I believe the three that walked on the ground, the lion, the calf, and the man, the four beasts of Revelation 4 5, I believe that represents the four gospels, or the three gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then the eagle, the one that flies in the sky, that represents John. He's so much different than the rest of them. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they have in them what's called the Olivet Discourse. That's where Jesus is on the Mount of Olives, Matthew 24 and 25, Mark 13, Luke 21. Jesus is on the Mount of Olives and he's teaching about prophecy. He's teaching about the, the tribulation period. And he talks about the Sabbath day. He talks about he that endureth to the end shall be saved. That he, he's not saying that if you make it all the way to the end, you'll be a Christian. What he's saying is 
If Israel, and he's talking about Israel there, if he's talking about, he said Israel, if they make it to the end, they're going to be saved at the end. We know that's what he's talking about because in Matthew 25, you have the Gentile nations before the Lord and they endure it to the end, but some of them go to hell. When he says those that endure it to the end will be saved, he's talking about the Jewish people are going to be saved at the end. So he's emphasizing Israel. He's talking about, talking about the Sabbath day. He's talking about the temple and the abomination of desolation. Things that have nothing to do with us. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But John, interesting enough, doesn't have the Olivet Discourse. Nowhere is it to be found in the Gospel of John. But John has this in John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. I'm going to throw this, these two verses out there. Matthew 24, 31, Matthew 25, 31. Both of those verses in the Olivet Discourse. Matthew 24, 31, Jesus is coming back. Matthew 25, 31, he sets up his kingdom. And you read the two verses, you find out they happen at the same time. When Jesus comes back, gathers his leg, he sets up his kingdom here on this earth. That is Matthew 24, 31. That's Matthew 25, 31. Go check out the references yourself. When Jesus comes back in Matthew 24, 31, he comes all the way to the earth and sets up his kingdom. In John 14, when he comes to get us, he's taking us back to the place that he has prepared. It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. In fact, here in John 14, he's using Jewish wedding lingo here. The people of that day, would have, they, know, they would have known exactly what he was talking about. The son would go into town or the marketplace or to another family. He would choose his bride. And when he chose his bride, he would go away for a while, go back to his father's house. He'd prepare a wedding chamber for his bride. And on a particular day, when he was finished building that wedding chamber, his father would give him permission and he would go back to where his bride was and get her and bring her back by himself. He didn't send his servants. He went himself and brought back his bride to spend time in that wedding chamber. They would go into that wedding chamber. Guess how long they would stay in that wedding, wedding chamber consummating that wedding, that, that marriage? Seven days. And when the seven days were over, they would come out as a couple and reveal themselves to everyone as a married couple. Jesus is going to come. He's going to get us, take us to our wedding chamber in heaven. We're going to spend seven years with him. Remember, Israel said the week was called a week. Spend seven years with him. And then we're going to come back with him in Revelation 19 for the whole world to see we're with our groom, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in Matthew 24, 31, he sends his angels. But that Olivet Discourse is not found in John. Oh, by the way, John 14, these words, they're not found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John either. Which one of these four Gospels we pass out like a track? Get people say, John, because that emphasizes the Gospel for our day. They all fit us, but, but there's less Jewishness, if you will, 
less emphasis of Israel in John than the other Gospels. So go back to Matthew 24, please. He shall send his angels, but with us he comes himself. And shall gather together his elect with the great sound of a trumpet. He's going to gather together his elect. I'm going to say something about that trumpet here in just a minute. He's going to gather his elect real quickly. Isaiah 45, 4 says Israel is the elect of God. But I want you to take your Bible and go to Isaiah 27 real quickly. Isaiah 27. We're, we're going to wrap this up really quickly, huh? I assure you. Isaiah 27. Look at verse number 12 of Isaiah 27. This, these are interesting verses right here. Remember, Matthew 24, 31. He's going to send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. By the way, in Matthew 24, 31, he says there's only one sound of a trumpet. One sound. When you and I rapture, there's at least two sounds. Because the Bible says it's at the last trump. And we're not talking about Donald. You'd be surprised. People have brought that up. Is Donald Trump the last trump? No, no. It's an actual blowing of a horn. I mean, he may be full of hot air, but he's not what we're talking about. When Israel's gathered together, it's one sound. In the church, it's at least two. It's at least two. But look here in Isaiah 27, verse 12. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall beat all from the channel of the river unto the stream of Egypt. And ye, he's talking to Israel now, ye shall be gathered one by one, O ye children of Israel. Y'all see that? They're gathered, the nation of Israel is gathered one by one. One by one. When Jesus comes to get us, it's going to be one group going at one same time. With Israel, they're gathered one by one. Because Jesus is going to send his angels, and the angels are going to pick up those Jewish people one by one and gather his elect from the four winds. Look at verse 13. And it shall come to pass in that day that the great trumpet shall be blown, that one sound. And they shall come which were ready to perish in the land of Assyria and the outcast in the land of Egypt and shall worship the Lord in the holy mount at Jerusalem. That is clearly the same event as Matthew 24, 31. Sound of a trumpet, and he's gathering them from Assyria and Egypt. What are they doing in Assyria and Egypt? The Antichrist has been after them, trying to destroy them. They went into hiding. They're hiding in Assyria. They're hiding in Egypt. They're hiding in other places. But God's going to bring them back to Jerusalem to worship in the Holy Mount. He's going to gather them one by one at the great trumpet sound. That's Matthew 24, 31. That is the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel. My friend, when your trumpet sounds and my trumpet sounds, it's going to be more than one trumpet blown. In fact, I'll give you one more passage and I'll be done. There's so much more. I've got pages here, but I'm, I'm not going to be able to get all that. I'm so sorry. You've got to listen to Mike Adams and Alan Gullick next two Wednesday nights and we're not going to deal with prophecy. I'm so sorry. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing both those men myself. I want you to take your Bible to Joshua, please. We'll finish with this. Joshua 6. And I'm leaving a lot of stuff out. 
I'm leaving stuff out because I put too much stuff in. That's how it works. You put too much stuff in, you've got to leave stuff out. Joshua 6, the book of Joshua is the sixth book of the Bible. We're going to look at the sixth chapter of the sixth book of the Bible. And Joshua is getting his instructions from the Lord Jesus, in fact, about how to overtake the city of, of Jericho. And the Bible says... Verse number 2 of Joshua 6, The Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thy hand Jericho, the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor, and ye shall compass the city. All ye men of war go round about the city once. Thus thou shalt do, excuse me, thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets, multiple blowings of the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast, that'll be the last blast. The last trumpet sounds going to be a long one with a ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people will shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up, every man, straight before him. You go on, you continue to read, you find out that that's exactly what happened Verse 16 says, shout for the Lord hath given you the city. Given you the city. The Bible says in verse 20 that they took the city. In fact, it says so that the people went up into the city. Here's the picture. Multiple trumpets are blown. There's one last trumpet. That long blast of the trumpet. And all the people shout. And the people, the Bible says, ascend up into the city. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in 1 Corinthians 15, at the last trump, 1 Thessalonians 4 says, we're going to all, they're going to be a shout. And the voice of the archangel, and we're going up to the city. We're going up. In Matthew 24, 31, there's going to be a regathering by the angels but there's going to be a bringing into the land of Israel. But in 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15, John 14, we're not going up and coming down. We're going up, 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 on past the stars. We're going to go to that wedding chamber with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. I do apologize. I could not do this justice. And the mind can only absorb what the seat can endure. I understand how it is. So I'm going to stop right there and not add anything more to that. Oh, I have pages of notes. But if you're here tonight, I'll say this. If you've never been saved, the day of wrath has come. The day of wrath is not today. The day of wrath is not here. We're still in a day of grace. And Jesus is extending his grace to whosoever will may come. But when that trumpet sound, that last trumpet sounds, if you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you will be left here. You'll go into the day of the Lord. 2 Thessalonians 2 says you will believe the lie of the Antichrist. You are going to believe the lie of the Antichrist. Before I got saved, I think I told you all this a few weeks ago, before I got saved, I tried my best to disprove the preacher of rapture. Tried my best to disprove it. 
Because I felt like, you know, if, 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 if it's not a pre-trib rapture and the Antichrist comes first, when he shows up, I'll know we have a little time left and I'll go ahead and get saved then. What I didn't realize in my efforts to disprove the pre-trib rapture, was 2 Thessalonians 2 says that during that period of time, if you have already heard the gospel before that time comes, if the Antichrist is on this earth and you've heard the gospel, you've had an opportunity to be saved, the Bible says you will be sent a strong delusion. That's part of the wrath of God. That's an aspect of the wrath of God. Everyone that had a chance to be saved prior to the rapture will be sent a strong delusion. They will believe a lie. The only people who have a chance once the Antichrist is here, the only people that have a chance to be saved then are those who have never heard or the nation of Israel. That is it. And that includes no one in this building. If you don't know Jesus Christ, come to him tonight. Jesus could come tonight. The trumpet could sound tonight. If it does, we're gone. If the trumpet sounded right now and we're gone and you're still sitting here, tell you what you're going to do. You're going to follow the Antichrist. You'll be sent a strong delusion. If you don't know him, come to him and trust him so you will be wrapped.